0: How do we get in a situation where Allen Iverson is hugging me in the lobby of the Sheridan Hotel? Russell's Reserve, aged 10-year, single barrel, which, by the way, I drank in honor of you, in honor of knowing I was going to be recounting this story on the podcast i ordered one of those at the sheridan society hill on thursday night while just before i went to the casino and played roulette with alan others how are you
1: i'm i'm simply not worthy to be here you're not you're not so with that i'm i'm going to actually uh sign off i'm going to let you just uh do a solo pod about Going and playing roulette with Alan Iverson. What what a world in which we live. So I I I know like typically if, if we don't put a show out right away, we get a few people saying like, hey, where's the pod today? And I don't even remember if I answered these people on uh, on Friday morning, but I had intended on sending out a tweet that was like, hey, not sure when the show is going to go out, but when it does, there are going to be some stories. And I hope I hope you showed up tonight with uh, we're recording Sunday night uh, right before Aaron Rodgers and. Tom Brady take the field for what's supposed to be a, a good matchup field. after they're on the field are they after yeah. the uh the Rams and Saints put on a show that was good in, in Eagles bye week so at least we had good football to watch but uh anyway I will I'm very hopeful that there are some good stories here about my uh, second favorite basketball player of his era Allen Iverson so go ahead
0: This is a legitimate story. This isn't like, oh, I saw him and stood next to him for five minutes. Like, we hung out with them for uh, several hours after this Philly Sports Hall of Fame dinner. So, there's a, you know, my scale of, like, ridiculous has been reset. And I've, you know, kind of told this story, you know, like, friends and family so many times. So, I'm not even sure how, like, weird or, you know, kind of bizarre a world it was that this even happened at this point. Um, But... Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, it's spending the night with AI and his crew is, uh, you know, is is strange and ridiculous as you could imagine. So, a little backstory here. So, these guys who um, I'll just say we're working with uh, as potential business partners invited me to uh, come to the Philly Sports Hall of Fame dinner uh, as a guest, and um, they work uh, with Alan Iverson. He's he's a a spokesperson for them. So I was a guest of theirs, as was AI, uh, also some other uh, people from the same uh, industry, and we were all within the same uh, two tables of each other. And I'm not exactly sure what the arrangement was here, but Iverson was being inducted into the Philly Sports Hall of Fame, which is a cool local event, but the sort of thing that I imagine would typically be pretty difficult to get Alan Iverson, especially when he doesn't live here to show up to. So I don't know what the arrangement was, if there was a sponsorship hybrid deal. Uh, I also know that when I arrived uh, to get my ticket, we had to wait to give Iverson and his crew their tickets. So um, we were uh, part of that group for the evening, I guess. Um, there was a few other people who had been invited uh, from the betting space, and uh, there might be some corporate pa- partnerships there, so I'm not going to talk about who they were or whatever. Um, so anyway, I was a guest uh, of this company. Iverson was being honored. Uh, him and his, his crew it was about a six-person crew. His manager, Gary Moore, very nice guy. is uh, a longtime you know, sort of manager, uh, sidekick slash agent was kind of his point man, one of his buddies from high school, um, uh, two guys that I would only describe as probably the muscle, not like full on security guard, but like, I gathered the sort of guys who would uh, start getting in the way if if shit started to go down. Um, And then later in the night, there was also a rep from Reebok who uh, travels or in this case was with Iverson uh, for the evening. And I think there was one other guy as well. I'm not sure who he was um so that was kind of the crew that ai took with him iverson was clearly the guest of honor um when i said i was having dinner with him i was somewhat joking but i did know that i was uh, going with a company that was you know sponsoring him and that if nothing else there'd be an opportunity to take a picture or maybe maybe shake his hand whatever maybe actually sit at the table turns out they were at the table next to us because uh, our tickets were all kind of grouped together did but you just uh, stare longingly at him from a distance No, so what happened is, um, we get there, we were, so he walks in with his crew, and then immediately three sugar house security guards who had kind of, I guess, been assigned to him, kind of come over and usher him in. Uh, we, when I say we, you know, the guys I were with had tickets for him and his manager. They gave his manager the group of tickets. Um, one of those was actually for me. So he handed one back to me and then he hand one to Alan and a couple other people. There were, there was a woman there. I don't think it was his wife. I'm not really sure who it was. Um, she wasn't there later. Um, so we're walking, we're about to get in the elevator with him, but his crew is crew slash, uh, sugar house casino guards are deep enough that we all couldn't fit in the elevator so we were about to get in and then it was like nope no room for us so we'll go up in the next elevator so we get upstairs Uh, they actually gave him a little holding room because there this was a public event like there wasn't a lot of people probably about 100 tickets you could buy Um, and I don't think they're particularly cheap but they kind of gave him a private room Mm -hmm. to wait He goes to his table right behind us. He's just sort of standing there um, right before the event starts. Then he sat up on the dais for the event, and they had like 10 people give their acceptance speeches, and seven of them were truly god-awful. Like Mel Greenberg, who covers women's basketball from the Inquirer, rattled on for like 15 minutes before they cut him off. Um, There were some not-so-great speeches from people, quite frankly, I've never heard of. Um, you know swimmers from like the 60s It was just a, it's a very eclectic mix Greg there no No, no I'm, Philly people I'm surprised Iverson honestly stuck around <laughs> um, Like this was the sort of Event where you like read about like You know that he bailed on but to his credit He was he was great um, So anyway so he's up on the dais the event goes on he gives a speech he's you know predictably funny uh brian westbrook is very good jamie moyer actually started cracking up like crying uh when he was talking about like the 2008 parade which was kind of a cool it was a cool moment it was a genuine moment so anyway we're at this thing after um the event is over uh iverson comes over to the guys i'm with and kind of gives them a hug they presented him with a bottle of uh, champagne as kind of a gift um i was in like one of like 10 people in a picture with him and was kind of about to be introduced to him and then all these people because there's public at the event are you know kind of crushing and there's a couple of local media stations and people snapping pictures and you know then his group sort of just surrounded him and started moving toward the exit and i was like ah well i'm i'm somewhere in a picture with with ai um it's at that point that the, the guys i'm with turn to me and say Hey, no, you know, let's let's go. We're going with them. Do you guys, do you guys want to want to go with them wherever the night takes us. <laughs> so, I looked at a couple of the other guys who were there, and I was like, uh huh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in wherever
1: wherever I'm down wherever this goes. I hope it's legal wherever it goes. I'm in. How does um, this work out with your wife? Is your wife a, a consideration in this, knowing that she's home alone with uh, with two young children at night? Uh, no,
0: no. <laughs> well, I mean, I. <laughs> I texted her and I was just like, uh, I think I'm going back to the Sheridan with Alan Iverson. So I <laughs> might was, need you to take the dog out. <laughs> um, uh, we sort of are part of Iverson's entourage uh, walking out of Sugar House. And I'm just like, I'm following until somebody tells me not to follow. So we go down the escalator. Um, we go outside the, the main entrance of Sugar House. We're with Iverson his, and his crew. So we drive back to the Sheridan we walk in having no idea where this is going to go. Cause at this point it is just his six man crew and like four of us, um, all of us in suits, you know, and Iverson's crew, not in suits. So we walk in the hotel, don't see anybody decide to just go over to the hotel bar. So at this point I'm like, we're not gonna hang out or even see Iverson here I'm sure he wants nothing to do with us. I don't necessarily blame him if he doesn't want anything to do with us uh, but we're here I'm gonna sit at the bar and order a Russell's reserve and just see what happens because was it aged tenure I need to know it was it was the tenure All right, it absolutely was the ten year single barrel so we drive back to the Sheridan we walk in having no idea where this is going to go because at this point it is just his six-man crew. And like four of us, um, all of us in suits, you know, and Iverson's crew, not in suits. So we walk in the hotel, don't see anybody, decide to just go over to the hotel bar. So at this point, I'm like, we're not going to hang out or even see Iverson here. I'm sure he wants nothing to do with us. I don't necessarily blame him if he doesn't want anything to do with us, Uh, but we're here. I'm going to sit at the bar and order a Russell's Reserve and just see what happens. Because was it age tenure? I needed to know. It was. It was the tenure. All right, it understand. absolutely was the tenure single barrel. So, all right. So at this point, we're sitting at the bar. And here's my here's my thought process. It's now like 11 o'clock. I'm sitting at Society Hill Sheridan with Alan Iverson's manager and a few guys from the betting industry. And I'm like, this is great. It was enjoyable. Enjoyed the company of the guys. Good networking opportunities. It, would, uh, it was a good night regardless. But I'm like, are we really going to hang out with AI? Like, is this going to happen? Like, this is one of those things, you know, when you're young and drunk at the bar and you think there's like a 4% chance of you hooking up with someone, you know it's probably not actually going to happen, but you just like linger as long as humanly possible just in case the night takes it in that direction. So we just pretend we're on our phone. We kind of mosey back into the crowd and just sort of stand there and like wait to be absorbed into the, uh, the group of like, eight to 10 people who are uh, gathered around AI who was at this point sitting on the couch, um, talking loudly, busting balls, something about nineties baseball players. Like, man, that's Eric Davis. You're talking about Eric Davis. That ain't Ken Griffey. And like, I don't know. I really didn't know the backstory of this, but him and his buddies are arguing about which nineties baseball player was something or other. Um, so I'll, I'm just taking this in. Like 90% of my night is just standing there taking what is happening in. Uh, they got a bottle of Crown Royal. Uh, they're all about to do a shot. Uh, one of the guys I was with had already been offered a shot, so they were waiting to get him a glass. Uh, so they all kind of raised their glasses. There was like four of us who weren't in on the shot. I wasn't in yet. Um, they all take the shot, and, you know, they're they're ball busting or whatever. At this point, I realized the baseball player thing they're talking about is – uh, who was on the cover of a baseball video game in ni- in the late nineties and Iverson's like, Man, I wasn't Eric Davis, it wasn't Ken Griffey, he wore a red jersey, it was triple, triple something. Whoa man, triple. So I look at I'm like, this is I'm in my wheelhouse here, right? I probably look like the square in the suit. I'm like Excuse pl- me, Mr. Iverson. No, I just I one of the boys. I was like triple play ninety eight and this is this is my moment. So Iverson looks at me. He goes, points at me. I I don't know how many drinks he had at this point. Points at me. My man! Yes! Yes! Triple play! My man! Comes over to me. Bro hugs the shit out of me. My man over here knows what he's talking about. It was triple play. And I'm like, yeah, it was 1998. And he's like, that's right. He's like, I got here in 96. I got, um, excuse my Iverson impression, but I feel like I, I got to change my voice somehow. I got here in 96, that's the game we used to play. And by the way, the guy on the cover was Ray Langford. They were all wrong. Uh, I, I realized that later. Um, so I got a hug from AI because I knew the answer to triple play 90 Let's
1: break this hug down. Yeah. Was this a handout first, interlocking at the thumbs, is or was this like a full-on... Like, you just saw your best friend that you haven't seen in three years kind of hug? Like, was this a, an immediate embrace? Was there an extension of hand? Was it hand to bring into arm, to bring into body? What kind of bro hug are we talking? So, I'm, as you might expect, I'm not a bro hug
0: guy, okay? I don't know if you could tell by looking at me. I'm not someone who gives good bro hug,
1: okay? I'm a... I'm, a, a, tall, sh- I'm skinny, a, a tall skinny gangly white guy you yeah. not good at a bro hug got it i'm not okay. good at a bro hug
0: now i give a good handshake for for a gangly guy i i have i give good grip i think i told you uh on this podcast earlier the only guy who really intimidated me lately with his grip was uh uh was the guy uh from the flyers uh why does his name escape me the the president of the flyers um not Dave Scott no not Dave Scott I think one just one, one rung below him doesn't matter Holmgren Paul Holmgren no no uh, his business counterpart doesn't Peter matter Lu- well it's not
1: Peter Lucco anymore? no
0: the, the guy used to be Luca. I'll think of it by the end I, I shouldn't forget the guy's okay. name um, at the Philly sports business thing his, he almost squeezed my hand off but I could give good handshake okay um, I don't give good bro hug but Russ I was I was like I was like Will Farrell in old school I was so in the zone. I didn't miss a beat. Like, look, you're standing in the Sheridan lobby and you got Alan Iverson, a an icon, right? A literal icon in culture coming at you for a bro hug. You cannot mess it up. Like you simply can't. An awkward hug may have had me banished. I don't It may have had me put in the trunk of a car and driven out and dumped in a river somewhere. Like you cannot mess this wow. up. Wow. So I get a point. My man, I definitely got a my man. A point, yes, other hand point. This guy knows what I'm talking about, something along those lines. Uh, Comes over, I see the hand going out. Now, I've witnessed a few of his bro hugs throughout the night. Very touchy. (laughs) Have you been taking notes? I had, mental notes. Very touchy-feely guy, by the way. Very touchy-feely. Big time ball buster, but not only like like bro hug, like genuinely hugs his friends, people he knows. Um, I was very, he gave Brian Westbrook a big hug, but even in like the the group we were with, like hugs his buddies, like hugs one of the guys we were with, like actual hugs. So I figure I have permission to be a little touchy feely. So he's coming at me like, this is real bro. This is real shit about to happen here. Uh, so I go out right hand, grab it vertically, not like a, a you know, a, Palm forward handshake like grab it vertical vertically turn it into the fist bring it in bring the shoulders together I think I even I think I briefly even got my left arm around the back to like give it a pound on the back like I imagine this we're you is gonna sort go to
1: open hand or a, a, a quasi closed fist you know, I, on the, I don't on the remember
0: back? I don't remember I was quasi blacking out at this point not from the mm. one and a half drinks I had just from whatever I Picture it, the kind of bro hug he may have given Andre Iguodala when they were on the same team and he would get introduced, like that sort of bro hug. It was a good one. It was a good one. Um, so he walks back. I tell him it's 98, he turns to his buddy. Yes, that's the, yeah, that's right. I got here in 96. That was that game came out the next year. Like, shockingly good knowledge of 90s PlayStation games. He was impressed that I knew that. Um, no doubt about it. I was then accepted into the group. As he you know, turns away and starts talking to somebody else, uh, one of the guys turns to me, he's like, dude, you just got a bro hug from Alan Iverson. And I'm like, you know, I'm just like, like dazed. Like I just been punched in the mouth. Like I'm not even sure what's happening at this point. All I know is there's like Crown Royal, bro hugs, AI, and then talk of going to play, uh, go back to the casino, which I'm like, I'm in for. I'm going wherever we're going at this point. So now we've gotten like the quasi invite to go to the casino with Iverson. It's at this point, I don't know what, exactly is going to happen because I know he's a notorious gamble gambler I just assume there's like a high roll or private area he's going to play in right I'm not much of a gambler and I'm certainly can't go toe to toe with whatever Iverson's going to be wagering so like do we just sort of go and hang in this room with him if he's getting like a you know private blackjack or roulette table like I have no idea what I'm in for here. I am way out of my element. Believe it, like, as much as I'm focusing on sports betting, I am not much of a gambler, certainly not a casino gambler. Like, I could count on a couple of hands the number of times I've gambled in a casino. Um, so I'm like, shit, I don't know where this is going. And the one guy's like, no, man, I'm telling you, like, he's he's cool. Like, he doesn't want the special treatment. Like, we are ju- we were just in the hallway of the Sheridan drinking Crown Royal. Like, you know, <laughs> We could have been anywhere else. We're in the hallway of the Sheridan, the lobby of the Sheridan. He's just going to go play at any old table. He just likes the fun of it. Someone said, like, he loves to shit talk the dealer. That's his thing. So I'm um, like, okay. So we go. I drive myself over. They're in an SUV. We're in a different car. Uh, I drive myself over, walk into the casino, meet up with the other guys who took a separate car. Uh, we decide to go get a Gino Steaks first because we're starving, and it was, like, the, probably the best fucking cheesesteak I ever had. Maybe it was just the little bit of bourbon and the, the fact that we're about to go hang out with Alan Iverson that probably made it, like, the most Philly possible thing you could be doing at that moment. Um, so we go there, we see his crew, and he is just standing. Now, keep in mind, this is, like, midnight at Sugar House Casino on a Thursday in November, Okay, you can imagine like, what the crowd is like, the type of crowd, the type of people who are playing roulette in a casino at 12 o'clock on a Thursday. Like, not exactly the most high rolling crowd. Like, you know, picture what you expect to see in a casino and then like turn that dial, dial down 25%, given the, the day and time that it was. So Iverson is a, you know, sticking out like a sore thumb in this environment. Um, he is just sitting at a $15 minimum roulette table with like three other people like three other people who looked like you know me like late 20s white dudes like one guy there with his girlfriend just playing you know five ten dollar fifteen dollar hands of roulette and overwalks Alan Iverson and is now gambling alongside them so as soon as we get over you can immediately t- tell It was verified that he likes to shit-talk the dealer. Uh, The dealer was a Kenyan dude, and one of the guys somewhere said something to the effect out loud of, Yo, that man looks like Minute Bowl," which, by the way, I don't know how (laughs) offensive that should be. Iverson looks over, kind of gives a look, and I'm like, oh shit, and then starts cracking up. And at this point, throughout the rest of the night, everyone was referring to this dealer as Manute Bull. Iverson's boys were calling him. Man, that's Manute Bull's uncle. Yeah, Manute Bull's cousin over here. So the whole time, Iverson is just berating this poor guy, like probably in his 20s. Not in like an aggressive way, but like in an aggressive ball-busting sort of way like man this table ain't ever win you're i see you're never gonna spin that ball it's never gonna call mine i'm leaving this table man this this motherfucker over here can't roll the ball right like this poor guy is just getting why does
1: your Allen iverson go more and more southern draw every time i don't know all right continue
0: man my (laughs) number's never gonna come out oh i see we're gonna roll a zero tonight we're rolling zero i see no one's winning tonight I see nobody's winning. T- Man, I'm taking my, m- I'm taking my money. We're getting off this table. <laughs> I'm like, Hold Alan on
1: Iverson sh-. becomes a mega church priest. All right, guys.
0: <laughs> I mean, this poor guy is getting berated. Look at this guy. He's a not- hey, roll that ball. I thought you were gonna roll that ball. I mean, this roulette. T- it's like roulette. It's like the the dealer has like almost no impact on anything, um, as if he does in any <laughs> casino game, but especially roulette where the wheel spins itself. You could just drop the ball. Anyway, uh, he's berating this poor guy. Uh, It's funny. I kind of felt a little bad for the guy, but it was funny. Um, So I'm like, well, we're at a $15 minimum. He's got stacks. Like, I don't even know what denomination is in these stacks of green chips he's playing. Um, And he's also got a lot of cash in in his hand, uh, which I later found out it was $2,500 in his left hand. Because when he went to go to the bathroom, he handed it to this buddy and just sort of threw it on the table and said, get me more chips. Um, So I'm like when in Rome, right? So I go over to the ATM and I take, you know, the high roller that I am, I take out $100 and it spits back a $100 bill. So now let me set the scene. I'm walking back to the table. Iverson is on the far right corner of the table. Um, There's two other people on the left and like two open seats in the middle. So me and one of the guys we're with, he sits at the seat and I stand between the seat and Allen Iverson. So I am now shoulder to shoulder at the roulette table with AI who is berating the dealer. And then the dealer switches out, another dealer, a woman comes on, he starts winning. So now he's more upbeat. And then the other dealer comes back and now the guy's really getting it because he starts losing again when the guy comes back. So at this point, I'm like, well, I gotta I gotta play roulette next to, at the same table as Allen Iverson. I don't care how I really don't even know that much about what I'm doing or the fact that AI is gambling significantly more than I am. So he's got a wad of hundred dollar bills totaling $2,500 in his left hand. I have one single $100 bill, which I neatly press on the table and try and like shield from AI to make him think I'm a total loser. And I'm like, uh, can I change that for uh, yeah. Give me fives, give me chips, fives, fives will do. Thank you very much. So I get a stack of $25 chips. Next to Alan Iverson, who between cash and chips probably had about five grand sitting next to me, um, so I kind of feel like a loser. I blew ninety dollars in probably about four rolls because uh, I was just throwing it on like you know red and black and that sort of shit. Um, meanwhile, Iverson's breaking the dealer. The TV's on. Uh, his buddy is taking his shoes off, so there's a pair of the questions by my feet. His buddy's running around uh, with his phone in one hand, his charger in the other. I'm not really sure what he was doing but he didn't have shoes on um here's the thing when you're out with ai no one really speaks to ai and not in like a he's unapproachable like you would imagine lebron to be sort of way um you know again this guy's just standing in the middle of the casino but like even his buddies like it's kind of like you spoke You speak when spoken to, like if Iverson wants to bust your balls, like you bust his balls back, like that's kind of the way it goes. Um, He's clearly, obviously, the ringleader of this group. Um, Nobody else in his group was playing. Like two of the guys were sitting behind him. One of the guys was wandering. Another guy was just sort of standing back. Like this was clearly like as long as AI wants to stay, we're staying. And we don't really have a say in this, and we're just going to play. And one of the guys came over and asked something about going out. I think they went to a strip club. Um, and he's like, no, nah, man, I'm playing. So, I, you know, I don't know. He's playing. Um, they're just sort of waiting. I'm playing next to him. Sports Center is on. They're showing the highlights of the 49ers game. And what is it, Marquise Goodwin, the 49ers receiver? Yeah. So Iverson sees him on the TV, and he turns like to me, and he's like, man, this guy's kid, he's like two of his kids died. I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, you know, what's his name? Goodwin? God, I'm like Goodwin. He's like, yeah, yeah, Goodwin, yeah. Two, and he's telling me like this backstory about Marquise Goodwin, how he read or saw on TV that two of his kids died during, after childbirth, and like, I, I what the fuck do I say to this? So I hear, I muster up a, Jesus, man, that shit's no joke, labor and delivery.
1: <laughs> I'm cringing. Yeah, so, so much of the story has me cringing.
0: Well, so, look, he's... T- what are you saying? Like, I'm just humoring him. And that's that's basically what you do. Like, And that's what everyone kind of does. Like, you just humor AI. Um, so he's like, yeah, Goodwin. You know, so I'm like, all right, I'm in a conversation about Marquis Goodwin's kids, you know, being stillborn. Like, Christ, this is terrible. So I was like, oh, Jesus. I was like, yeah, man, shit's no joke. Labor and delivery. You know, <laughs> like... And I, you know, you can tell Iverson actually felt bad. For he's like, yeah, man. But they like one of his buddies behind me. Like I sort of looked at him when I said the labor and delivery line, and the guy just looked at me like the fuck, man, <laughs> weirdo. Um, yeah. So I stood there, you know, I just sort of stood there and observed for like another hour. He's berating the dealer. I don't know whether he's winning or losing because there's so much like, you know, there's cash and chips. It's really, really kind of hard to tell at this point. Yeah. Um, so it's like 1 30, and then we, you know, we just decide we're gonna leave. So we say bye to a couple of his buddies. Didn't really say bye to him. The guy I was with said bye to him, but we just sort of, you know, walked away.
1: I find out later. You walked away from Alan Iverson. We did. You're once in a lifetime opportunity. You have one moment about a video game, you have labor and delivery, <laughs> and you walk away. Well, so that was... Our two, my two That's big, unacceptable. My two What big is mo- wrong with you?
0: My two big moments with him were the, the video game hug, and the labor and delivery line. And, by the way, playing next to him. So the whole time, when I say shit-talking the dealer, like, we're the two guys at the table with him. Uh, his buddies are, like, all behind him. So when he's shit-talking, he's kind of, like, looking at us like, man, this dealer, man, he ain't gonna, you know, like, all that. He's talking to us. Like, we're just sort of nodding and laughing, like, exactly what you would expect to do. Like, you know, like, total shit. He, um, he ain't gonna roll
1: black. He ain't gonna roll black. Uh, yes, sir. You are correct about that. I, I, I bet he's going to roll red. Oh, he's going to roll red just, just to upset you, Mister Iverson, Mister Answer. With that's your pretty much what shoes. happened.
0: So he turned like at one point. He was like, "My number. I'm on 24. He was on twenty four all night, and the guy next to me is like uh why doesn't he just play three <laughs> i, I, I kind of cracked up. i wanted to play three but i lost my ninety dollars and just sort of flicked away my ten dollar chips because it was a fifteen dollar minimum i didn't even know what to do with the remaining ten dollars because it was a fifteen dollar minimum i like this hell whatever um but give yeah talent. i was like why just give it to him. someone play three no i gave it to the other guy and then he's like he well, can't give me your chips my chips are a different color than your chips i was like i don't know, just fucking just get rid of them i don't care um <laughs> but at one point he's like, "Yeah, my number, I'm 24, and I'm on the range, and that range it never comes out. But zero and 24, and it never goes anywhere in the middle. It goes the number on the left and the number on the right, never in the middle." And so I'm like, "Oh, well, Alan, I did say, I did say, well, what number is are you playing?" He's like, "Man, I'm on 24," and he's pointing all his numbers, and then he goes on a, a rant about how the you know the ball's never landing in the range. It's landing like not outside the range of where he's playing all of his numbers. Uh, that's,
1: so I, that's interesting. Cause most of his shots in his playing career with the Sixers didn't go in the hoop, dude. They went, they went around the hoop, dude. And then he like got to the line. The worst. I'm you're just like trying the worst. To, I'm just trying to piss you off. Go ahead. Continue. So, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm going to pull his true shooting percentage while you uh, continue. The I'm just,
0: a, I'm just a cheerleader and I'm just laughing with, he saying, I kind of felt bad for the dealer because he's been berating the ever living shit out of him. Uh, man, my new cousin over here can't roll shit. You know? Um, by the way, so at the casino, not many, as many people would recognize, recognize him as you would think. There was a small crowd around the roulette table that I was probably a little oblivious to for a few minutes. Um, Definitely, I don't think the dealer who may have been foreign really knew who he was. Uh, I think like the co dealer did, but not the main guy who was just getting the brunt of it. And he's like, man, who is like, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That was my read. Um, woman comes by with drinks, doesn't give one to AI. Now,
1: that's a she messed that up
0: you did because you know of all the people to not give a drink you get a high roller in a casino like that a star in a city where he's a mega star and don't recognize him immediately so the pit boss clearly knows who he is uh realizes that he wants a drink because uh, him and the other guy are talking about like hey can i get a you know like, kind of out loud hey can we get drinks over here um so the pit boss comes over he says alan we're gonna be bringing a bottle out for you. So now I'm on the inside. Is like you know someone's getting legit bottle service. So two minutes later, like by far their prettiest waitress comes out, like tip 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 uh, with the bottle on the thing. Doesn't give it to AI. So I'm, I'm learning protocol here. You don't give it directly to him. You give it to his guy, and his guy takes it and pours it and sets it on the table. So This guy sips it first to make sure that he's not being poisoned. Hey, it, it maybe. Um, so he's got the champagne on the table. He's sipping the champagne. Uh, and he just turned, he takes one sip of his champagne he looks over at like me and like in the general direction of the waitress like, man, can I just get a beer? Like all he wanted was a Heineken, which I respect. Um, so eventually he got a beer. They gave him that. Couple guys came over. Uh, first guy comes over super drunk, super drunk, uh, kind of looks and sounds like Kevin Hart, like super drunk and energetic. It was not Kevin Hart, but like almost his avatar. And he's like, man, that AI that's AI, that's AI, I gotta
1: talk to AI.
0: And he like kind of pushes through me, who's right next to him. And AI's, Oh,
1: you didn't you didn't block. You pulled the Jason Peters. You I, got sh- I honest
0: to Christ should have been Jason like, Jason Peters. I would have got serious props if I put a hand in the guy's chest and was like, yo bro, no way. But I kind of like let him through. I wasn't sure. So like, AI, AI. Swellen so just like slowly turns his head and looks at the guy. I'm not kidding you. Looks him up and down. And I'm like, oh, God, this is like, this is going to be ever. Guy puts his fist out. He's like, AI, can I get a dap? Can I get a dap, AI? Can I get a dap? And, you know, I don't know if the guy was tweaking on something or whatever. And AI just sort of looks at him, turns back at his boy, and his boy puts a hand out. And not tonight, bro. Not tonight, bro. And the guy walks away, but he's somehow giddy. He's like walking away, chirping. He's like, I just met AI. I just met AI. I have
1: a similar story to that.
0: I got one more. So, guy comes over, another guy comes over. Um, very calm, just drinking his beer, totally by himself, um, looks at me uh, and says, is that Allen Iverson? And I was like, it is, it is, yeah. He's like, oh my God. He's like, if I got my picture with him and then died tomorrow, but was able to post the picture on Facebook or Instagram, whatever he said, I would die a happy man. <laughs> so stupid. He's like, he is my...
1: Hero, like he is my wow. all-time basketball wow. hero. Yeah, I mean, well, this guy was getting deep. Like this I guy. Well, he's waxing poetic while at a casino near a, a roulette table. I mean, look, I don't, I don't think this guy has a Russ. Oh, you okay. you gotta understand. I mean, I don't.
0: I know. AI was probably a little before your time. No, In he was prime. You act like you were like year ten year years born? old. When you were born ninety. Yeah, you I were grew up six on years Iverson, old when he was no. Drafted. Yeah, true. Yeah, so you know the point is he's a genuine sports icon. He's not just a Philly star. I mean, I,
1: yeah, I get that. To, to an
0: entire community. I mean, he like to the black community. He is a big fucking deal because he did it his way. He still does it his way. He broke NBA rules. I mean, he he's like he's yeah, the, the reason there's a dress code in the league. Right. Know? There's a reason Reebok's still paying him eight hundred thousand dollars a year. Dude has, I mean, more street cred than just about anybody you're gonna find. Uh, so this guy standing next to us uh, is like, man, I would, you know, I would kill to meet him. Can I get a picture with him? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, here is I'm like, dude <laughs> you're asking the wrong guy. I'm like, I'm like way on the outside of this circle, even though I'm physically standing next to him. I'm like I'm on the outside of this circle. He's like, are you guys with him? I was like, yeah, yeah, we are. And as a matter of fact, we are. But I don't have a say in this. I was like, you might want to ask one of these guys back here. And he's like, what if I slipped you a few bucks? So I'm like, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like oh, shit, if the guy well, slips me like 100 bucks, I'll, you know, well, what's the worst that can happen here? I walk away with 100 bucks. and He AI kills Alan he Iverson. Goes, what do
1: you mean, what's the worst? <laughs> or, or
0: Iverson kills me. He shanks him. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> he's a Vince Carter super fan.
0: So I'm like, yeah, but here's the thing. Like, the, the guys who I perceived to be the muscle in his crew, like, they weren't like bodyguards. Like, they weren't like, he wasn't like walking between them. I mean, they were just sort of like, they were sort of running shit like the guy who went to get the car the guy who took his money when ai went to go to the bathroom and got more chips like but ai went to the bathroom by himself like just walked through the casino i'm like shit man like dude i would take a bodyguard if i were him in that situation you know given the fact i mean it's you know after midnight at a casino in delaware ave like i i don't know but right, so go um on. so anyway the guy's like so how much did the guy offer he he's just like can i give you something i was like man no i'm that's not oh the wrong guy So I back away for a minute, a few minutes later, just like look at my phone. I like take a few steps back If the guy sees his opportunity and he leans in and he's like, AI, AI. And Iverson, you know, turns, looks at him, looks at him up and down. And he's like, who would win? You or Westbrook? And Iverson's like, now the guy's like, yeah, now, now who would win right now? Like this is the guy's big moment. And he asks him who would win head to head him or Westbrook. And, uh, Iverson's like, and when he said now, I was like, "Man, Westbrook." He's like, "Westbrook, I'm old as fuck." <laughs> and the guy's like, well, "What about your prime?" And I and Iverson's like, "Westbrook." So if, if you wanted to know who Iverson thinks win wow. him or Westbrook, yeah, he did a lot of respect for Russell Westbrook. Wow. Uh, so the, then the guy walks away, doesn't ask for a picture, which I don't. He probably could have gotten one at this point. Iverson was relatively cool to him. Uh, The guy walks away, like, literally, like, in a daze, like, saying to himself, oh, my God, I just met Alan Iverson. Like, out loud, he is mouthing this to himself. Um, So the dude resonates with people. Um, There was a few other people watching, like, certainly people walking by, like, you know, doing, like, the head crane. So it was kind of cool to be on the inside of that. Um, I get why, you know, guys could be jaded in these situations and why it's tough to go up to guys because... You just don't know who's, like, coming up to you, and, you know, you don't know what sort of... Like, he was very focused on betting. Like, not... His only talking was pretty much a shit-talk the dealer and talk about Marquise Goodwin's son, um, which was interesting. So, you know, I get why, you know, these guys are a little leery, because you don't know who's coming up to you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, Like, overall, like, he was very cool to us. His crew was, v- like, super nice. Like, all he got... his. Gary Moore was seriously a nice guy, smart dude. Um, his buddies were very friendly to us, like welcoming. Like this one buddy, as we're leaving the hotels, like "you guys coming with us?" And I'm just like, "uh-huh, yep." So I, fa- so we left at one thirty. I think he was losing. Um, say he had there was five thousand dollars in play at that point. I think he was definitely down some decent amount of that. Um, by the time. So I get home, you know, it's like three o'clock by the time I get home. I found out the next morning that they stayed until four thirty, and that he walked away with uh, fifteen thousand dollars. So I don't know if that was sheer profit or just he walked away with fifteen grand, but um, he won big. He, he stuck it out at
1: the fucking fifteen dollar roulette table all night and walked away. I'm going to tell you where I 15, think you missed. 000. I'm going to tell you where you missed an opportunity. I yeah. think when the guy offered to hand you some money. What I would have done in that situation, this is, you know that you're never going to have another shot to to play with uh, with Iverson or really interact with him, probably, right? Yeah. So you you go all in. You say to the guy, all right. Well, how much you got? Guy hands you money. You turn to AI and you say, Yo, AI, how, how about this? This guy was going to give hundred bucks for me to uh, to try to get his picture with you, and then you hand it over to Iverson. You go, eh? You just say thank you to the guy. Boom. <laughs> Just, just, like, hand it over to him. Go, like, yeah. Who's going to pay you this? Way. How about that? Yeah. Just pass it along. Look. There you go. As the Phillies... Memorable. Memorable. There's probably a fun chuckle between you and Iverson. And then maybe AI just looks at the guy and goes, all right, man, come on over. Like, boom. Then you've now worked it out. Iverson gets the money. The guy gets the picture. You get props from both. Russell... See, so what you need... You need me to be with you in these moments. At this point, though... I've already gotten the bro hug. Like you don't understand. We're, I do understand. We're in you a Sheraton shir- lobby next level. with Crown Royal flowing, and I I'm get a bro hug about a video missed opportunity. Like, I'm in missed opportunity after missed opportunity. You, you had good moments, good moments, missed opportunities. Walking away at one thirty, I think, is is an egregious error on your part. I was no joke. After I lost my ninety
0: bucks, I mean, I think I got the timeline down pretty good here. We left the hotel probably around 11, 30, 12. I mean, I I was standing at the roulette table for at least an hour, most of that time, just watching Iverson play, chuckling at his snide remarks, like, you know, being his, like, little um, laugh track, watching him berate the dealer, um, in a light heart. I don't want to make it seem like he was being an obnoxious. Hit. Like he was not belligerent. He was, it was funny. It was like exactly how you would expect him to like trash talk Dick Bavetta circa 2002 is exactly what he's doing to that dealer. Like it was funny. I'm not sure the dealer found it as funny, but like most people, like, it wasn't like he was being a, a crumb to the guy. He was, it was just funny, but I'm there for an hour doing this. I have no idea how long this is going to go. And by the way, I have no idea where this might night might go. Like, I've taken this as far as I could reasonably take it without finding myself in a truly unique circumstance that I've never been in before. I feel like I've probably, you know, I've probably hit a peak here. I didn't, you know, I wouldn't have been able to hang the 4.30 just standing there. I think it would have been weird if we did stay there and just, you know, Kiss his ass until 4.30. Like, as Philly sports gossip blogger, you know, I'm in my element here. I'm like a sheep in this situation. Like, this is, I am so far fucking out of my element playing roulette with Allen Iverson and his boys that, you know, I'm just trying to not, like, rough step on shells. I'm mad at myself for not getting a picture. A few of the guys I were with did ask him, like, while we were waiting to get in the car, like, if they could get a picture with him. And he did. And he was cool about it. Although one guy, one random guy outside the uh, casino the first time tried to get a selfie when Iverson got out of the car and was like, man, I ain't put my face against another dude's face. Um, but then he did get a, like, He that's the thing. Like, he bust the guy's balls, but then he took the picture with him anyway. Like, that's kind of like him in a nutshell. Um, but whatever you think of him, like the whole vibe about him being real and all of that, from what I saw, it's 100% true. I can now completely see him hanging out at TGI Fridays doing their $5 specials or whatever. The dude is the guest of honor at an event. I think he wanted to leave the casino right after it because there would have been all these Philly sports fans coming down the escalator. He couldn't stick around. So he makes the call, says, hey, I want to go back to the Sheridan. Goes back to the Sheridan. Then once the casino clears out, goes. But I mean— Sitting in the Sheridan, we could have gone to any club in the city having drinks just with his boys, busting balls, talking about video games. You know, they get a car service or, I don't know, if it's an Uber, if they had someone, uh, his his guy was just driving around in a black SUV, like maybe, you know, he drove them up from Virginia, goes to the casino, just plays at the regular table, doesn't ask for anything extravagant, like waits for someone to bring him a drink, asks for a beer, playing with just normal people. He was just went up to a table and started playing where there are people who are completely starstruck uh, hanging out with guys like us who I get it. Like, I think he thought we were, well, you know, some of the guys were like corporate guys who are literally paying him to be their spokesperson, but you know, totally like welcoming in that situation. Um, you know, like just, just a dude. Like I was, I was actually surprised as to how I could never, you know, compare a similar profile NBA star, you know, maybe LeBron and, and Jordan and, and are on another level, but take like a Kobe or a Russell, Russell Westbrook or a Steph Curry, like guys of similar stature. They would never, whether it's in their heyday or 10 years after the career, just be sitting in the middle of a casino like that, um, playing a $15 table with thousands of dollars in cash. Like that's respect, dude. Just hanging out with everybody else, drinking a drinking a Heineken or whatever. Um, so I was just trying not to ruffle any feathers. I wish I would have taken a picture, just one, to show that I was there. Um, but uh, it, you know, it did happen. Uh, so uh, that's that's. It's one of those things. Like I'm just gonna have to, you know, tell my grandkids about. And you know, by that time, I will have been rolling, you know, hundred thousand dollars at the table with him, and the story will grow. But you got the, the visceral, raw version of the story. I know that was super long. I hope it was interesting. I hope I took people through my sort of awkward mindset throughout the entire night. The 20-minute story that became an hour. Well, we, we, we had a divergent. I mean, how bad? I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea how that story like is or was. It was long, I know. I'm trying to, to take people through the, the whole situation, like how I find myself standing at a roulette table with AI at 1
1: a.m. at Sugar House Casino. Well, I think it was something. Yeah. It was certainly something. Yeah, like, we
0: weren't just, it wasn't just, like, happened upon them or whatever. Like, no, like, we were invited to go to the hotel, to go to the sugar house, and, you know, you don't really, like, it's not like you're like, oh, boy, like, we're going to sit down and have a conversation with AI, but yeah, you're just sort of welcomed, like, we were, like, kind of given, like, the head nod access to, like, yep, you you guys are with you guys are with us tonight sort of thing. And it was through no doing of my own, by the way. Like I was just tagging along with guys who were in a business relationship with Iverson and I was a guest of theirs. So, uh, I'm not even like, I wouldn't even, I don't even want to write abouts on the site. Like, I hope I didn't even say too much on the podcast. Cause like nothing bad happened. Everybody on both sides was cool. Like he was cool. I'm not trying to like, you know, out anything. No one did anything wrong. Um, you know, it was a, it was just a fun, uh, you know, interesting night. If something really crazy would have happened, I probably would have kept it to myself because it wasn't like my situation to be in, but nothing did like everything that happened was just sort of, it was just sort of ridiculous. Like the whole thing was ridiculous. Like they're just busting balls about video games and it was, yeah. So pretty, I think I've peaked in terms of like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get a better celebrity encounter than that. I think that. it's all over. I think it's all over for you. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're going like sports megastar, going to a casino with them. I don't think, you know, Unless I'm like, uh, you know, unless I like
1: go on a boat trip with Chase Utley. I don't know if I can outdo this one. So let me, uh, I'll take a, a somewhat parallel story. So there I am at the uh, the Islanders Flyers game. I get on to Taking the, uh, the shots pre- with Claude Giroux. <laughs> and so, well, no, speaking of taking shots, uh, before I get on the media elevator, I see Jake Voracek, Claude Giroux, and Wayne Simmons taking shots on basketball hoop as uh, I get ready to get on the elevator. Anyway, so I get on and I hear somebody yelling out to hold the elevator. It's me, some guy, the the nice uh, older gentleman who you know does the elevator. And then I see Ron Hextall. So Hextall gets on the elevator. Now, this is like right after Anthony and I had recorded Snow the Goalie on, I think, Thursday. And we were kind of making the joke. And, and I was hoping it wasn't going to be true. But Anthony was pretty adamant that uh, Michael Neuvert, after doing one rehab start, was going to be starting in that game. So Hextall gets on. I find out that that Neuvert is going to start the game. I'm about to ask him, just kind of like, hey, do you think he's actually going to hold up? Right? Like, I'm not expecting any kind of an earth-shattering response, but maybe like a little bit of insight. So I'm I'm about to say it to him. And the guy in front of me on the elevator, mind you, there are four people on the elevator. Two work for the team. This I don't know who this other guy was, and then me. Other guy goes. Wait, doesn't Hextall uh, know you because you've done the podcast in person yeah, with him? Yeah. Like so. Did you get this, a head
0: nod? Yeah. Did so, you get a
1: bro hug? I Did not get a bro hug. I did not reach out for bro. So I'm about did to give like, you a just hello. Say, Seriously, yeah. so, this is
0: this is why my story goes so, an hour. I need this level so, of detail. So anyway, you hold on. You get in the gets,
1: elevator. You see Ron Hextall. What happens? No, I I get in the elevator. It's me, this guy, and the the elevator guy. Hextall comes in, head nod, hello. And then I'm about to ask him he, just I don't think you know knew who in, you are. Head non hole Sure. Like, just um, not on the so whatever. Um that's fine. We've we've gone back and forth texting the last week. I'm just kidding, that's not real. So um now you threw me off. Okay, so the guy on the elevator in front of oh, me, welcome I've never to seen the club. this guy before. He goes he goes, Oh my god. Oh my god, you're Ron Hextall. Oh oh my oh my oh my god, you're Ron Hextall. Ron, I I I I, I, I don't know if you remember this but back in in 82 oh no I sat like right by you the Dodgers were playing in the World Series and and I I was an aspiring actor didn't work out obviously here I am but uh, I I noticed you know you you were there and I told you and I told you that I wanted to be an actor and you were so you were so polite so kind to me that evening and i you know i just wanted to say thank you because you know there there we were and uh you were sitting by me and um you know thank you thank you for your positive words thank you for 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 everything i, I don't know if you remember this I, i'm sure you do but uh or, or maybe you don't but uh it, it really it really made an impact on me so i you know i wanted to say thank you and hex i was like oh yeah i, I remember uh, being a. Uh, being out there, Los Angeles. Love Los Angeles. And uh oh yeah, I I remember being out there. Yeah, but you know, I sat right next to you. We we had a good conversation, some laughs some laughs. So mind you, Kyle, the amount of time I, I stalled this out because I think I have it down to a science of exactly how long this conversation went to get from the bowels of Wells Fargo up to the balcony. All I wanted to do was say one thing, get one little tidbit that I could lead into the pregame show that Anthony and I were going to do. And instead, I get this guy who's probably in his 40s, 50s, I don't know, know—recanting or like recounting the story of sitting near Ron Hextall at, like I think it was the 81 World Series. Like, are you kidding me? Come on, dude. Like, No. Stop. Don't. How, like he doesn't remember. How you is can this have guy this. going, this going can, to this the press be, box? this i don't know these I don't are the know. details he, maybe, I need, maybe he's Russ. maybe he's media like he had a past. if he's so maybe that's he's, weird media, if he's media. but i don't know who he is i've never seen him before so like i don't know if he was there maybe he was out of town media like honestly i don't know but all i could think like i was so cringy i'm just saying like dude just stop stop <laughs> like you could have ended this at hey hey ron uh you know sat next to you in 80 world series 81 world series out in la you Still know cringy really nice to me so so like you know just wanted to say thanks you know things went differently but you know it was great talking to you then. Uh, you know, congrats on the, the gig here, whatever. And, like, that could be it. Nice little pleasantry exchange, fine. Like, if, if you really have to go there, do the pleasantry exchange. Kyle, he took, it ha- it felt like 10 minutes. Now, it's that's not how long the express elevator takes. It probably takes, like, a minute, minute 10 tops. But it was the whole ride up. And the whole time, guy gets off the elevator, and I look at Hextall. He looks at me, and I'm, I just shake my head. I can't even, like, get the, the cringe out of me enough to just say the thing to him. I'm like I'm. Just, oh, it was bad. It was really, really bad, really bad. Anyway, your your story was better. Uh, you had a better experience than uh, than that guy did. That was it was awful. Seriously, legitimately awful. Then I get down. And, that's why you got to play it cool. You wait for your moment. Well, you no, that's what I was trying moment. to do. I was I was legitimately about to say it to him. We're like we're making eye contact. I'm about to say it, and then this guy jumps in with this freaking like, ah, uh, this like personal anecdote. I couldn't handle it. Anyway. So Anthony and I are getting ready to record our pregame show that we're still trying to name, uh, like the press row show or, or something like that. So Anthony and I, in an effort to expand the the Flyers coverage on the site and you know continue to get eyes on this, we uh, you know we're doing the pregame, we're doing the intermission shows. I like, got I got a name, press for, row it. I got a name for it. I got a name for it.
0: Puck 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 pass. Puck puck pass. Puck puck why? pass. No. Why? What? Puck puck pass.
1: Why is that Good. a thing?
0: Two pucks and a pet. I don't know. It's it feels like okay. So anyway, you're taking, So
1: know. so I walked to Anthony. We're getting ready to record the pregame show, and uh, see, he threw me off again. Puck, the pregame. First I of don't ball, like this at all. Okay, the pregame so
0: show is Anthony and Russ with bad yes. audio taking questions.
1: Live, yep, live on social so we, media. We didn't we didn't realize. And whose and camera? So, whose what phone are you using? Okay, hold on. So. Let's let's reset this. A what two bit <laughs> so, Android piece of shit? Hold on, are you guys using? First of all, it's Anthony's. It was Anthony's iPhone. What so generation? I, I have so you, no idea. So we're on we're on my MacBook, right? And so we're recording the audio, but we don't realize that Anthony's wire is broken on the la- on the uh, the mic. So the first show, yeah, it's like internal mic, not good. So we're working out the kinks. It was the first game. We're gonna have it fixed for next for the next game on Thursday. Anyway, uh we're we're like sitting there getting ready to do this thing and i tell anthony about this and he's like oh hextall probably did not enjoy that at all i'm like no no of course he didn't nobody wants first of all nobody wants to get approached by somebody like that with a story like that but also like the difference between the iverson thing and the hextall thing is iverson is in a big casino with with people with muscle around him this guy is cornering ron hextall in an elevator there's no escape there really isn't. There's nowhere Hextall can go. He has to be subjected to this for sixty to seventy seconds. Anyway, uh that that was that. So um yeah. Yeah, but wait, you had your own you got a little honor this game, right? I did, yeah. So we're we're doing the pregame show, and I think right as soon as we finish, this uh, young guy comes up and he's like, Oh, I've met Anthony, I've met Bill, uh, Bill Meltzer who sits next to Anthony at these games, and then he's like, who the Oh hell I don't are think you? we've met he goes, yeah, I don't think I don't think we met. I said, Oh, I'm Russ. And like I'm not thinking about like I, I don't know exactly who this guy is. And like I don't I don't like lead with uh who I, I write for, cover the team for. So I'm just like, oh, I'm Russ. And then Anthony starts losing it. And Anthony just goes, uh, his name's Russ Joy. He writes for Crossing Broad. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Well that that's a thing. And the guy's like, Oh, well, do you want to do the three stars today? I'm like, Absolutely I do. This is cool. So then Anthony has has been the tradition with any time we're down there, something new happens, and Anthony thinks it's like my Christmas morning, which it kind of is. And then I all I think is, what if the Flyers suck? Like, what if they screw this game up? Uh-huh. And I don't mean just screw it up. Like, what if they get their doors blown off by this dreadful new New York Islanders team, and I have to pick three Islanders for the three stars? Like, wouldn't that suck? So then my my thought process pros, pr- my thought process becomes, one, can I name gritty as a star? Because I know that he's going to be the biggest star on the ice. Two, can I name some guy who didn't make the roster as a message to Dave Haxell? Like, can I name Phil Myers, who's better than both Christian Fulan and Andrew McDonald? No, I can't do that. See, I
0: would have taken a stand. If so, you were, if you were in, if you were like uh, in your fifth year covering the team, you could take that sort of stand. I think.
1: Well, so so I'm like doing this, and I'm. Uh, and like, as the game's going on, I'm like, nothing good is happening for the Flyers in this game. I mean, absolutely nothing. And so Anthony and I, every intermission that we're doing the show, which, by the way, progressively picked up more uh, more viewers and more uh, comments as we went, which was exciting, even though our video quality was bad and our audio quality was bad, but it will be better for Thursday. Um, Like, the the further it got, I'm like, oh my god, they're really not going to come back in this game. Like, I'm legitimately going to probably have to pick three Islanders. So we get to the to the end, and I'm like, Jesus. I'm like, looking at the stats, I'm like there's no good way to do this. So Anthony and I start commiserating and trying to figure out like who should the three stars should be. I kind of have it in my mind. We solidify. I make the list and then the guy comes back and he goes, so um, in case the Flyers come back, like what are you? I'm like, they're not coming back, dude. They're not coming back. You know it. I know it. We all know it. They're not coming back. They're down four goals. It ain't happening. So I said, you know what? Can I change this? Can I put Gritty and Phil Myers and Carter Hart on here? Can I just do that? And the guy's like, oh, you know, that's, that's really funny. Yeah, I, I was thinking, uh, you know. Uh, I'm like, jeez, oh, man. Like, what? It, the the one time. And so they make the announcement at the yeah, end. You go, wanted oh. to be and the they, guy they go, who's voiced. Go,
0: and as Giroux comes out, waves his little stick. You wanted Claude to hear your name. It would have been a big moment. Yeah,
1: so you. it was, was going to be a beautiful moment. And instead, like, I don't get a bro hug from Claude Giroux. Uh, they go, the, uh, the three stars of this game have been selected by Russ Joy of Crossing Broad. I'm like yeah and then I see the three go up on the board and they're all Islanders and like nobody's booing because nobody cares at this point because most of the fans have left because the game was so awful because the Flyers have been mediocre at best this season this uh this road trip notwithstanding. they have five of six points on a West Coast swing but whatever um so that happens and I'm, I'm just disappointed and then I go down in the locker room and um I got on TV a few times so that was fun I was getting texts from friends they're like, hey, you're he- you're like right behind whoever. I see you, and then like started sending me screenshots. You're one of those so guys fun. who
0: intentionally positions but, himself. Directly oh, I did that game. Yeah, that, that game I did. So I you're never a do dork. it. I hate you. I, I've
1: never. I hate no, listen, you. So and you wore a tie. I've I've never. I it. Really I've never that. Okay, so uh, you should have gone with the Michael Scott line there. Like, how, why? How did you become this way? Anyway, um, <clears> I've I've never wanted to get on that side of the camera, but then I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Screw it. Like, it was a terrible game. It could be funny. It could be really funny, and then it was. And the way that uh, NBCSN Philly um, edited the one clip, it, it like goes uh, like on a left-to-right fade. So there's actually a moment where I'm looking at myself from behind uh, Provorov and Bear in back-to-back clips. So there's actually a moment I freeze-framed it where I'm looking at myself. So that's a thing. Anyway, yeah, total dork. I'm I know. i just like you. So, so, the, so these things happen. I'm feeling better about were, my good awful. comment. But then here's, here's the worst part, okay? So Anthony and I get ready to leave the game. And we're going back and forth about, like, what what is Hackstall's, uh job status at this point, right? Because, like, nobody really thinks that Hextall is going to fire him. And then Anthony and I, as we're leaving, he's like, so it really sounds like Hackstall has the road trip. And then he wrote this in his post. So this isn't, like, breaking news. But Anthony wrote this after the game, that, like, Hackstall's job could be on the line. Voracek could be the first guy traded. He went on 97.5, like, after the game and, and said Voracek could be the, the first guy out. And then my my kind of uh, general gleaning from the situation sounded like and from what I was hearing around the arena was it sounded like there was a chance that like if Hextall wouldn't drop the axe on Hextal that he could end up lining up on that chopping block next to him like going down with the ship. So I'm getting myself mentally prepared for Well, the Flyers are going to go on this road trip. They're probably going to get like maybe a point out of six or like a point out of eight or two out of eight or whatever. So I'm not really expecting much. And then they go out. They win their first two games. They they end up having a lead three times against San Jose, who smoked them eight to two in their home opener. Uh, and they end up losing in, in overtime last night. But they have five of six points now. They play Arizona, and that could be an, an up in the air game. But it doesn't look like ha- like uh, a job is going to be on the line unless they get absolutely get their doors blown off. But it's been a really weird year. It's been fun to be down there covering the team, like getting asking questions of players and and all that. But like it's been a disappointing season. And it's not just the Flyers. The Sixers are doing it, too. And can I can I just really quick? Uh, there, there was a quote that Brett Brown had after this this game tonight. So they, they got their doors blown off, the Sixers did, by the Brooklyn Nets. And I'm taking exception to what Brett Brown said. So he said, we are not right now among the royalty in the East. This is also going off of what I think was a pretty well-done piece by Marcus Hayes that he posted 10 minutes after the game ended, which means he wrote the thing up and he popped in a couple times that the, the Nets beat the Sixers, but that was it. And it's all about how Brett Brown essentially has punted again, pointing out the fact that, like, point guards, generational point guards typically take a bunch of seasons before they become legitimate things. I've said this a bunch of times, but whatever. So Brett Brown apparently, uh, before the game, had said that they're not even close. And then after the game says, we're not among the royalty. Well, I'm sorry. Like, this this is where I, I had the issue the whole summer and you kind of told me to, to settle down, uh, you know, Skippy or whatever, like Mike Mazzanelli would, which that's another thing we need to get to in a little bit. But like, Brett Brown was the GM this summer. They lost out on Bielitza who backed out of his contract. They traded for Wilson Chandler. And outside of that, they didn't really do much, right? They brought back Amir Johnson and JJ Redick. They drafted Landry Shamit, who's been a good player. But what has this team actually done? I said it all summer. Like, I, I don't see it. They didn't get better. Toronto got markedly better. Boston, whether you like how they're playing or not, and they're, I think, third worst in the NBA in points scored, but they're still somewhere near the top of the Eastern Conference, and they're going to figure it out. They still have Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who looks better and better every day, and Markel Fultz, who, like, you know, if you're not a fanboy who gets excited every time Markel Fultz scores, like, 10 points and thinks he's back and, you know, sends out 15 tweets about how he's back— the the team's not better and i've said it since the summer people were like shut up you're an idiot like you're you're so negative just like let the season play out they're an eighth of the way through their season and they look worse in practically every way the only guy that looks better right now is joel Embiid, who i wrote up for the site like is on a historic pace right now now that takes out of out of account the fact that he scored 16 points tonight he only had eight shot attempts in the entire game but like he's averaging numbers that no player in nba history has when you take into account effective field goal percentage three point percentage points per game and rebounds per game and all that and assists and blocks he's never like he's the only one who's ever done it only like three other players in nba history have even come close on the shooting numbers and then if you take across like the the points and rebounds that he's averaging it the list is even smaller so whatever this team's not good and and i'm i'm actually getting more and more upset about it i expected the flyers to be a meddling franchise this year and being down around it like seeing how things are kind of falling apart Like, that is what I expected. The Sixers, on the other hand, even though I knew they didn't get better, I didn't expect them to be 0-5 on the road to start the season, 6-5 overall, and now the coach is essentially saying, oh, you know, you got to give it time. No, there's not a lot of time, Brett. You were the GM. You hired a guy who essentially is going to make sure that you are going to keep your job. Everybody who has been hired by this front office, by this ownership group, and, and is part of this collaborative effort, so that's Cohen and Eversley and crew, those guys were all kept in place, and you hired Elton Brand so you didn't have to blow it up. Elton Brand has said that on three different podcasts, two of them being national podcasts, The probably the biggest reason that he was hired is because the ownership group did not want to break up this collaborative effort. Well, guess what, guys? Like, it's not good enough. It's simply not good enough, and right now, I'm not even a big fan of Giannis and his 5.9, 3.0% percentage this far through the season, but like, the, the gap in the Eastern Conference has gotten that much worse, and every game that Kawhi Leonard goes out, and puts up, you know, like 25 and 10. And looks amazing. Granted, he's sat out a couple games. He's sitting out tonight against the Lakers. The, the Raptors are good. The Celtics are good. The Sixers are not. They're mediocre at best right now. And Ben Simmons, who I love and think is a great player. Or w- could be a great player if he would just shoot the damn ball. Like, I, I, I don't see it. I don't see it, Kyle. And I was told to shut up the whole summer. But now, I think when you're 11 games into the season and nobody looks that much better... I think it's time to like start to to sound some alarms i'm done look
0: I'm, i think you're creating a straw
1: man argument uh about me over the summer i agreed with you like i, I said that it was, was the big i said it was a failure of a summer and you said hold on the summer's not over i said it in june and you said well hold on the summer's not over so that in Russ, fairness to be fair it was early you said it, it like was it was early. two days into free agency like when they didn't get when they didn't get any of no the I understand stars.
0: but I mean you're you're definitely creating a straw man there like I if you would have said this is how the summer's going to end that would have been a different case I completely agree with you so don't you know don't put me in the camp as saying they had a good summer I was super down on what they did I think I like look certain things are out of their control okay LeBron James was ultimately out of their control Kawhi Leonard mostly out of their control um, Paul George you know. Like the Paul you know, George out of their control, right? Yeah. Like, but there had there had to have this was the most important offseason, okay? Arguably in their history, because you made such great strides last year that with the right, had one of those premium guys came here, which again, not really in their control at this point. Had one of those guys come here, they're title contenders this year. Like, yep. The warrior yep. like you have to just set aside the Warriors when you talk about this. Like, chances are no one's gonna beat them. But yeah. Let me give
1: you credit on something before you continue. Oh, okay. Every day, every day I watch Toronto slaughter everybody they go up against right now, they're up 32 10 on the Lakers at LA, which isn't entirely surprising. The Lakers aren't a great team. I continue to think more and more about you were right about Kyle Lowry and what he could have done for this team. Thank you. Because Kyle Kyle Lowry is the kind of off-ball, on-ball guard that they could have used. And I was so hell-bent on, you know, Fultz has to be that guy, Fultz could be that guy, and maybe someday he can if he gets that gray matter between his ears to, you know, actually get fixed and focused. But Kyle Lowry's a guy who wouldn't make them a title contender but might have made them a more attractive free agent destination this summer. And so now, like, I don't fault, when you look at what the Sixers team is, I don't fault Paul George, and I don't fault uh, LeBron James for not wanting to come here because... Maybe they saw something that we didn't. Anyway, continue. No, I, by the way, I can...
0: Now you just put wind in my sails. But everyone thought I was You're nuts. <clears throat> Give me a two-second side rant here. Everyone thought I was nuts about Larry, and it was a total Villanova-Homer thing. It was like, no, first of all, this guy with DeMar DeRozan, who, by the way, is like not... He's a really good scorer, but he does not really have a game in the current NBA. You know, DeRozan?
1: Well,
0: I, I disagree with that, but, well, okay. but like, I mean, he's more of like a long two point jump shot guy. Like that's kind of his strength. And there's not, he's yeah. not a great three point shooter. He's very much an ISO guy. Like, you know, th- there's just a, lot. a
1: good. DeRozan's a good player within a, a specific yeah, system. Yeah, he's a great. He's a gr- he's a great talent. Don't get me wrong. Like but he's, he's gonna be, he's he's good for like what he's doing right now for the Spurs is exactly what he needs to do. Right, but he's shooting like 40-ish, I think, percent from the but field. But when
0: you consider the fact that him and Lowry, now, granted, they didn't have much playoff success, but they were pretty much dominating the East for the last couple of years in, in the regular mm-hmm. season, that was really impressive. If you took Lowry, who's having a late mm-hmm. surge, and yes, age is going to catch up with him, but here's a veteran guy who has some, first of all, he's a veteran guy. He has some level of, you know, kind of street cred with these guys as a leader or whatever. Um, he has exactly the skill set they need, someone who could score in a multitude of ways, who's a good defender, who can handle the ball, who could definitely shoot the three, which was by f- certainly not his strength coming out of college. Like, he was throwing darts at the basket. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he didn't look as bad as Fultz, but some of his shots looked as bad as Fultz's wind up being. Looked like an early Andre Miller. There was no arc. Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But at least Andre sort of developed like a reliable, that little left-hand shot. But Yeah, eventually he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's why I was like, look, if if he was on this team and they had, you know, progressed in other ways, you know... You have Embiid who's going to be an MVP candidate, the way he's playing. You have another all-star level player in Simmons and all-star level player in Lowry. Now, all of a sudden, you can legitimately compete with the Celtics And the, because their window is now. You have to put the Warriors aside. You can't just like keep punting your future down
1: the road until LeBron dies and the Warriors... All their players retire, right? I had somebody legitimately say to me the other day it's better for them to be where they are right now because the Warriors are still good. Now, that's I'm crazy. I'm sorry, but like, you don't punt the next three seasons. Like, yes, are the Warriors going to be great consistently? Yes. Do I think KD is eventually going to leave Golden State? Yeah, he might go to the Knicks. So he's going to be in your conference potentially. Right, like right? every so, team
0: in the league can't just you got LeBron out of the conference, so that so now the conference is, is wide open. Like the Celtics it was supposed to
1: be the Sixers and Celtics, right? And right. The six, it was supposed to be the then. Then Toronto got Kawhi, me, and it was like okay, well, it, it was a toss up between the Sixers and the Raptors by most people in the off like going into the end the season. Absolutely, from the national and perspective. rightfully so.
0: But and you, it ain't
1: it ain't that now. My point about their window
0: is you everyone was waiting for LeBron to leave the East, which is a reasonable thing to do. He is gone. The, as good as the Celtics are, and as good as Kawhi li, is in Toronto has been playing, this is a wide-open conference. There is nothing like the Warriors or LeBron standing in your way. Those are good teams, but you can be a good or a great team. Like There is nothing preventing any other team from taking the reins in the East. The Celtics just went ahead and grabbed it. Okay? But LeBron's gone. You can't just punt, like you said, because of the Warriors. What happens if KD leaves next year, and then Steph Curry, who occasionally gets injured, gets hurt? So now, all of a sudden, you have a team that has Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, right? Uh, and yep, DeMarcus who, Draymond might actually leave. Right. He's the most likely. The thing is, they have Honestly, two injuries. Even but, two injuries, they're still probably the odds-on favorite to win, which is fucking bananas. Yeah. But... The point the point is it could happen and who knows what happens when you get to the finals if like if a lot of they almost didn't make it last year it's not like they're unbeatable the rockets had them on the ropes three games to two. So they can lose. It is a crazy competitive conference. One injury could really change things, and then you can get a good matchup with the team that was able to take advantage and beat them. It's possible. So we're in agreement they can't punt that. That's why I was always on the Lowry thing. Like he's, a, he's an all-star caliber player who definitely fills the need that you have. He brings some veteran leadership, which is important. But oh, by the way, he's not 700 years old. He's still very close to... To the top of his game, and he's shown that he's really not a Batman, and you kind of have two Robins in him and Rosen, and that's why it never works in the playoffs. Neither of those guys is a takeover the game type player, the way Joel Embiid is now turning out to be. None of them are a transcendent talent slash physical freak at their position the way Ben Simmons is. They're just really good all-star caliber NBA players, which w- Lowry would have fit in perfect here. So I agree with you on that. Regardless, the Sixers, I'm with you. It was It's so disappointing because now they could have turned a corner and taken the reins in the East, like legitimately so. This isn't a pipe dream. This isn't some process, wet dream. They were very close. And at a point going into the playoffs last year, a lot of people thought they had a legitimate shot to win the conference. And I think it was a legitimate shot. And I think they actually could have beat Cleveland. You know, maybe in hindsight, you know, LeBron was just gonna go ahead and win it by himself. But actually, I actually think they entirely possible. Actually, yeah, think I they think matched up better, a better with matchup. Cleveland than yeah. the Celtics. Yep. Um, to not to, to go into the thing, you can't help the Colangelo thing, and it's not their fault, and they should have fired him and all of that. But to come out and say that we're taking our time and not doing being urgent, and we're turning this over to Brett Brown. And I don't know what choices they had. Some of this is circumstance, but nothing got done. And then you give the guy to a job, a, guy- a job to a guy like Elton Brand, who again we made fun of Doug Peterson for these same reasons. So I don't want to like put the cart before the horse here. We have no idea if Elton Brand's going to be a good GM or not. None of us know. We can't sit here. And if opine he woos on
1: somebody, it. like look, if he woos a free agent in the summer of 2019, if that's Kawhi, if that somehow were Clay Thompson, which that's. Certainly not going to happen uh, if it were getting Katie to opt out and come here. Then, like, fine. Then, yes, Elton Brand was the perfect hire, right? But, like, what was the other thing that we heard going into this offseason? It was, and, and Brett Brown himself had said it, King, uh, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad had asked, you know, does a free agent really care about the GM? Brett said no. And then when you would hear from people around the league, it was typically a player obviously pursues money. They think about potentially, depending on where they are in their career championships, and they actually do care about the coach. And all we heard is, well, you know, players really like Brett Brown. There's a lot of respect around the league for Brett Brown, but yet nobody came here. The only guy that they got that actually helped one of their deficiencies last year was Wilson Chandler. Who's both rangy, can shoot threes, and also has like a decent wingspan, can switch well against a team like Boston, which is still a nightmare matchup for the uh, for the Sixers. Like Mike Muscala, not a matchup nightmare at all. Like maybe a stretch five, but again, like if he's your stretch five, then where's Embiid playing? Is Embiid your four now? Are, Are we gonna have him like going out chasing Aaron Baines in the playoffs? That never works. So. To me, the roster construction was bad. This is why you don't go through what many called the most important offseason in your in your franchise's recent history. I literally just and called and it let that. and and let your coach be the GM. Let this collaborative collective effort be your GM. It doesn't work. Now there there's another way to look at this. I tweeted this out a while ago, but like anybody who Can I just who say hated one thing Sam Hinkie before you what? before
0: we move on to Hinkie because I I, I got a response to that. Um. Maybe lose my, 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 my train of thought.
1: Um, something about this offseason. They went into this offseason with their coaches, their GM, and this collective.
0: It, Is yeah, that what it was? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. About the GM. Like, players don't come here for the GM. But they do come That's here saying, yeah. for circumstance. And the GM yep. helps breed that circumstance. When you have kind of a void like that, I don't think Colangelo being here changes the calculus on any of those big three players getting here. But who knows what else might have been able to be done with someone who at least is, whether we like Calangelo or not, as his abilities as a GM. And I think he's got far good, more good traits than people give him credit for. Oh, does he? Well, look, I mean, he
1: completely bungled like the Noel and Okafor situations. Hold on. Hold on. Let me, I want you to think about what positives you have. Let me line up the negatives of the Colangelo years. Okay. Okay. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Just stop for a sec. I'm not going to sit here because I think with the
0: Sixers, like ultimately, he made a lot of mistakes. Particularly, Noel, Okafor, the way he handled media, the media, the way he handled injuries. I mean, there was there was a lot of things under his
1: watch that could have been done much better. So, what were the positives we that people aren't go that back. People aren't taking into account. If I don't have a what player did what player did he bring to Philadelphia that Philadelphia couldn't have gotten with? Hinky or any other GM? Let me tell you Redick, something. Nope, no, no. The overpay of Reddick. Let me like, tell you. Honestly.
0: No, well, actually, the Reddick deal was, was quasi-brilliant. As it turns out, Reddick has been a tremendous signing, a tremendous yeah, player on this team. He was team. offered twice as much money he was offered in a twice single year. So, so, like, how many GMs? Is that being a good GM? Like, I yes, don't know. Yes, I think... At, That is almost the definition of a GM. Hey, we need this guy. We have extra space. We're not spending it this year. I'm going to go out and convince a guy to take a one-year deal, which is kind of crazy for a player of that stature at that point in their career. I'm going to I'm going to overpay him on a one-year deal, give him life uncertainty, and all he was looking for was
1: certainty in his career at that point. That's a creative deal. That is a wow. This is what Vladdy Dvok usually does. Hold on, hold on. It's not being it's not being a good GM. It's guys pursue money. I just said this. They pursue money, maybe championships.
0: For you who was such a coach, a
1: system like let me just let me.
0: For you who was such an NBA geek, you clearly didn't watch that Reddick documentary last year. I mean, money was not his top priority, and I don't think that was like well edited bullshit. That guy's wife wanted him to be on the East Coast. He had certain teams he wanted to go to. He wanted to go to Brooklyn or the Sixers. Like, there were, it wasn't just a money play. They found, he wanted stability. He was tired of moving around. He wanted to settle down with his family. If he had a shitty year last year, yeah, he made a lot of money, but he would have, he could have bounced anywhere this year. He could be in Phoenix while his family is in Brooklyn. He took a chance on a one year deal. Now, yeah, money talks. I'm not debating that, but. That was
1: a good move. Here's another small roster move. I'm not going to sit here. He did say, hold on, pause. He did say on two different podcasts, I think Zach Lowe was one and on his own podcast, that he was moments away from signing with Indiana for a two-year deal for less money. So that's my point. So how do we convince this guy to come for, look, I'm just going to get
0: permission to overpay the guy for a year, sell him on the fact that if it's successful, we might bring him back. I mean... No one's arguing with that deal. I don't think it was like the uh, some stroke of brilliance. But I'm saying was, like that
1: kind of runs counter to the whole like he wanted to be close to home, like he did, and so like ultimately he chose the deal between the well, he, the Brooklyn offer and the Philly offer. The Philly one was twice as much,
0: right? He right, but, but he, he did, almost but,
1: signed with Indy. Well, but he, it's he didn't have that
0: many options. My point is. It, it was a good deal. Like, I'm not I'm not defending it as some sort of brilliant deal, but that was a fine deal. I'm not going to – there's nothing you can knock Colangelo about that. It was everyone agreed that was, hey, this is a great win-win. When you could construct a win-win, to me that's even better than pulling one over on somebody. Um, but, like, take a small – rot. as much as, like, Marco Bellinelli is not winning anybody a championship, This the reason the Sixers rattled off all those wins at the end of last season – is because they added Bellinelli and Ilyasova, two very important role players who, oh, by the way, Bellinelli was like their second best scoring option in the playoffs when they had trouble getting points, which is, ironically, exactly what they're missing now, a guy who can just fill it up a little bit, right? So, like, again, yeah, this isn't like some great draft pick that takes you to the next level. But those are the sorts of moves an experienced GM is usually pretty good at. And Colangelo did a nice job, at least on those two things last year. He's also identified players in Toronto, like Kyle Lowry, who was not anything close to what he is now before he came to Toronto. So if you look at Colangelo's lifelong track record, it's not all bad, is my point. We love to hate him, and he. this is not a successful stint at GM with the Sixers. But he is not is incompetent as people around here make him out to be. And it's very debatable whether he's a good GM or not. I mean, setting aside the fact that his wife's tweeting about contracts on the side, you you get my point. So having someone like that in place who may have been able to do something, if nothing else, identify some talent, a Bellinelli-type player, who actually becomes important to the team. Like I don't think it's an accident that after Ilyasova and Bellinelli showed up last year, they were great. And then those guys leave, and their roles aren't replaced. Not saying either of those guys are irreplaceable, but those specific roles they filled were helping the Sixers in a big way. And honestly, I think Embiid's late-season injury hurt them a lot more than we want to give it credit for. He He was out of shape. Out of touch in the playoffs. It was so visible. The mask wasn't helping. All three of those things made him a much lesser Embiid than really he should have been and probably was. So now take the current level of Embiid, which is just fucking incredible MVP level, round him out with a more well-rounded roster with guys who can score and they cannot go through these scoring droughts. You know, maybe we're having a little bit of a different conversation now. The Sixers did all this without a GM. So even if you're not getting one of those top three players, the fact that there wasn't some something done this season to make the team better, they, they have gotten worse. On the court, they are worse this year than they were last year. I do feel the coach is partly to blame. I know it, it's, it's been way too long to sit back and say, okay, Brett Brown can never get any blame anymore. I think he is. Pause,
1: pause. Before we go on with yeah. Brooke Brown, let me let me just address two things. Uh, so, Landry Shamit, who has, uh, you know, apparently throughout and the offseason. Side note, you was drafted shadowing. a guy who actually hold, could have well, contributed and well, helped you, and then you punted that well, for a draft. Yeah, pick. yeah, I know. I know, I know. Um, so, Landry Shamit, right, has come in, let's say, give or take like 18 minutes per game this season in the last three games. So, not including tonight, actually, the last four games. He's shooting about the same field goal percentage, actually about uh, 10 15% higher overall than Marco Bellinelli's last 10 games as a Sixer, uh, not including the postseason. His postseason numbers actually took a dip. Um, but three-point percentage-wise, his three-point shooting so far has been more reliable than Bellinelli's was at the end of his Sixers tenure, especially if you do count the playoffs, where Bellinelli really did go cold and practically disappeared, even though he was still jacking up uh, you know, about 10 shots a game, 12 shots a game in the playoffs. Anyway, you're talking uh, to go percentages. Back, to go back to your
0: you're talking percentages and not pure volume, correct? Well, I mean, your t- uh, field goals attempted. I mean, I'm looking, you know, seven, six. He's averaging yeah.
1: between six and eight shots per game. I mean, like you just said, Marco Bellinelli. In in limited time, I'm saying he's playing about I get it 33% less minutes than Bellinelli was. So Bellinelli goes in; he's a high volume shooter. Exactly. So I'm saying like, you can't just in, in, compare. In way, oh, always a better three-point shooter. Well, no, like, it's, it's not. No, 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 it's, fire not, up it's not. just shots percent. in a no, game. I'm not saying percentage. Sure, he could, but he's not going to. Why would he? He's a rookie. He's not supposed to. no, anyway, no, 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 what, no, what no, 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 is, no, no. Hold what? on, hold on, hold on. This is one of the things where we're going to get going first take. This isn't good. I don't want to do this. I'm just saying they drafted a kid who could come in and actually provide them shooting, who can play the same position, I who got might that, be able to do it somewhat more reliably. And that's maybe like the one thing that Brett Brown and this collective did correctly in the draft is they got real value late in the first round, which is something that I wanted to make the bigger point on that Brian Colangelo did not do as GM. And so when you point out the fact that overpaying JJ Redick was a good move, which, sure, it was a successful move. I don't think it's creative GMing. I just think it's you offered somebody a lot of money and they took twice as much money to play here for a year, sure. But I would also point out the fact that, like while Calangelo was here, you want to talk about positives. Let me just go over a few draft things that happened. So, uh, if you remember, I'm, in I'm not going to die on the hill same. Hold on, you. in the I'm same. Really oh, I'm, I'm not looking for you to. But in the same draft where they they made the blockbuster deal to trade up uh, for Markel Fultz, right? Trading with the best team in the conference, or who is going to be their longest term. Rival within the conference in Boston. So that's its own thing. Don't forget the fact that the Sixers traded a 2020 first-round pick and a 2020 second-round pick to move up in the draft for Andres Peshechnis, ahead of Kyle Kuzma and Hart, who are both legitimate players in the NBA, who both, by the end of the season, if Luke Walton pulls his head out of his rear end, are going to be starting for the Lakers, who are going to probably be making the postseason. So Andres Peshechnis, bad trade. They drafted Timothy Luabu-Cabareau. They drafted Furkan Korkmaz, who demanded a trade. Oh, by the way, they all drafted, the, all the drafted, process
0: people liked both, the, they, both of those yes, draft Yes. Yes. And would they have drafted killed Jonah, him yes. for drafting Josh Hart. You would have killed yep. me two years ago if yep. I suggested Josh Hart because I'm a Villanova fanboy. And they, in fact, hold on, they Josh hold on, Hart. As uh, much as I I'm like, the, no, as much as I like love. him, I would not have really. I did not think he he's was better going than expected. Be. He is definitely better than expected. Like he's a great. Yeah. I did not think he was going to be
1: this good in the NBA this quickly. At least he's going to be a legitimate starter in this league. So, like, yeah, kudos good. to him. Yeah. They drafted Jonah Bolden, who just got optioned back down to the Blue Coats. Brian Colangelo botched twice <laughs> the Nerlens Noel and Jaleel Okafor trades. One of which, by the way, two summers ago, uh, w- the rumor was that Boston was interested in one or both of those guys and had offered up a pick that ended up becoming Jalen Brown. Russ, that looks bad. Russ, so like these. Like, when, when people say that they didn't like Sam Hinkie because he was a joke and he made the team bad, and they were happy that somebody like Brian Colangelo came in to, like, rectify the situation. Idiots said that. You know, that. idiots we said can, that. We Again, can, you're
0: creating a straw man. No one well, actually
1: said that who had half a brain. You're out of your mind. No. Who with half Kyle, a brain said said that? There were a lot of people who said it, Kyle. Like, that's yeah, not like a straw Like, Tony Bruno? Like... No, 610. No. There, there were plenty of people who did not like Sam Hinkie. They were casual fans. They came back to the team, like they might have been lifers. There were people that that are of our age that did not necessarily like what Hinkie was doing. And when Colangelo came in, I was like, "All right, well, maybe he'll be able to go out and get some free agents and like kind of speed up this process." And and what I'm trying to argue here is it never really happened. They didn't go out and actually get a legitimate star to come in here and and speed up this process. And and why I thought the summer was kind of a, a bigger indictment on the whole thing altogether is. By not getting a star, you, you put that spotlight back on Markel Fultz again, and now everything he does is going to be critiqued. Well, I agree with that. So I'm, I'm stop just for like one sec, I'm, I'm just like disappointed in the whole thing again. And so like what we can we can stop kill this for one sec so this, I could this summer. Point. What? Go ahead. I, I, I'm not
0: standing here to defend Brian Colangelo, but your point about this was the summer. The problem is this is the summer the star was supposed to come here. No one really thought anything was going to happen until this summer. The fact that he got J.J. Reddick, I think, was like the first kind of win in their cap that they can attract desirable players to come here on big contracts. Like, that was an exciting day last summer when that happened. That was a moving the ball forward moment. So I'm not going to hold it against them that he didn't get a big star to come here before they were even remotely close to a playoff team. They had a little bit of momentum for like two months the previous season, before Embiid got hurt and Simmons missed the rest of the year, so I, I or, S- or Simmons was wound up being out for the whole year. So again, I'm not defending Colangelo, but I don't think it's fair to necessarily say, well, he didn't bring that big player here. Well, his
1: his wife went and fucked off before he was able to go ahead. He and also do that. did have a treasure trove of assets to make a trade, and he never did. He did, but it was it wasn't the time. It wasn't the time to make a
0: trade at that point to go out and get a, get a big name player. No one, even the process people especially the process people, didn't think it was time yet. So I, I, I don't think you could reasonably say that. My point, your thing I just wanted to, to pick up on on the Bellinelli thing when you said, well, you know, the guy's shooting the same. Per- His percentage is three from different, but he's, he's simply, Shamit is not a replacement for Bellinelli. And I, I'm not sitting here, I, again, I'm not dying on the Bellinelli throne either. But that guy could legitimately put, he's enough of a veteran to put himself in a position to fire up 14 shots a game and score 14 to 20 points on a given night. You know, that's not Shamit. The fact that he has a similar shooting percentage or a slightly better shooting percentage does not necessarily mean that if you can, you can multiply those shots by three and that percentage will maintain itself. You know, there's a difference between taking selective shots in a very limited role you know, this is like the Tomas Perez syndrome. Everybody wanted Tomas Perez to be in the Phillies lineup. What until person with half a brain wanted Tomas Perez? But until you're like, oh, okay. You know, oh, you're like, well, the guy hits 300. He's such a good hit. Yeah, until you put him in the lineup, then he's got to do it every day. Like, he's good in his limited role. I'm not knocking Landry Shamit. My point is, Bellinelli was actually a a terrific role player on this team last year. There's a he went cold in the playoffs because they were feeding him because he was the only guy at certain points who could actually get them some scores. Part of that was cause of Embiid, you know, part of that was cause Fultz and Panette. Like there's a lot of variables here. But they by losing Bellinelli and Iliasova, I don't want to harp on them, but those guys actually push them over the edge a little bit upon their arrival because the Sixers have the stars. They have Embiid and Simmons. They have the great players. They need really good role players like that. And, and in this case, and in that case last year, it was guys who can score. They didn't really replace that with anything. And my problem with the draft is, and I know Bridges had a little bit of a rocky start, although he's coming around. He's had a couple of double-digit scoring games. Uh, and he was hurting. So his faults. Yeah. And he was hurting. Yeah, but I don't think Bridges looks like he forgot how to play basketball. My point was whether it was Bridges or somebody answer. else, they had an opportunity to draft a player who can immediately come in. And I'll go, I'd like to take a look at the draft in like a month and see who was taken. Ooh, Bridges shooting 31% from deep. Who, Ouch. Who was taken? Ouch. Russ, stop. Who was taken that the Sixers could have had? And didn't draft. And I hate doing that revisionist history thing, because you know, one day we'll find a star that was taken ten picks later for and just on him. Which spot? No, I'm talking about the draft this year. Of, the fact that they Bridges was a guy who actually filled a role. And again, I, I'm not like I'm not trying to die on any of these one hills, right? Because you would need to you'd need to
1: have the No, the but like none of these guys are worth that, fighting
0: though. for. Colangelo, Bellinelli even even Mikael Bridges, as much as I like him. But they were in a position to get a guy to contribute now where they were drafting, and they didn't, and they punted to get a, lot, a pick that I think they really planned on trying to use in the offseason, and they didn't. I would, I'm would. i of the belief that if some, they look you straight in the face and say, no, we just wanted this open-ended pick, I think that's bullshit. I think they had a very specific reason. They thought they were going to be able to do something clever, and you had somebody who was completely outfoxed out of his depth, and Brett Brown didn't make anything happen. Not that it's bad to have that pick, but for the reasons you detailed that, the nba is screwing them again and it's not going to be the year where the one and duns can can come to the nba or you know you don't have to be a one and done player so that's not going yep. to help them as much as they thought it was going to help they didn't do anything with it this year and they punted on an opportunity whether it was bridges or somebody else to make their team immediately better they drafted a guy who yes he's hurt but also was a little bit more of a project, more of a defensive energy guy to start and you know rounding out his offensive game and we're seeing that. This is what happens. And the problem is, now Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are at the moment where they are ready to begin competing for titles. I think Embiid averaging nearly 30 and 12 that is pretty darn clear at this point. Simmons has a little bit more development to go in terms of his shot, but in the right situation he can absolutely be a star player on a three-star team they haven't gotten the star and over these last couple years whether it's colangelo brown or you know brand really hasn't had a chance to make his mark they have not done any of those things that is the frustrating part this entire series of the process was about putting them in contention to win multiple repeated championships i mean this was the philosophy and now they're really good you know, and even they're struggling. They're still going to be a good team this year. But they're, they're so far from getting over that hump. And the scary thing is, is that I'm not sure there's a clear path out of this. Because the Celtics look like they're so far ahead of them. And they're going Which is where I to have to be to... super creative over the next 18 months to figure out a way to maximize Joel Embiid while the guy is still, you know, players of his size... And ability typically don't, don't last last, you know, at that level. Not saying he won't be playing at a high level in the league in ten years, but look what he's doing right now. And I, I remember having this kind con- I had a DM exchange with Derek Bodner two years about this. I was like, Is it possible the Sixers like you go for it now because you have a freak talent who might not have a lot of mileage on his body and they're missing that window. Like that window could yep. have started right now and they're missing it.
1: To answer your question, the only other guys that they could have theoretically drafted at 10 that I think would have fit would have been like Miles Bridges, Shea that Alexander. That's about it. Um the bigger the bigger miss honestly and and this comes back to the clanger of the thing is the Fultz. trade they made to move up for Faults. Uh, you know, whether it was the right move at the time. We were excited about it at the time because we thought we were getting Washington Markel Faults, which we have not seen and we might never see. You know, the guy, who was the guy that I I kept talking about last year when we had um was it Wasserman from Bleacher Report on? And we talked about the draft. Yeah. The guy that I wanted them to draft was Donovan Mitchell. And I knew that he'd be there You know, when they were going to draft in their original spot. like I knew that he'd be there at three if, the, if they had dra- um, traded back with the Kings. Remember, it was like 10 and 12 were, were the picks that were rumored to be available. Mm-hmm. Like, Donovan Mitchell was there. And, like, there was something very clear about him. And, and like, when you go back and you even look at the 2017 draft, there's so many guys that this team missed on that, like, that could end up being the thing that cripples them. Now, the part of the reason that the that the the gap has gotten so big between the Sixers and the Celtics is also because in that two three year window when Brian Colangelo was GM, he just didn't do a good job of drafting. That's that was why I kind of brought up all these things about like what happened with Pachetnus and trading picks and trading picks with you know in the Fultz deal, like. TLC is going to be out of the league soon. Korkmaz is not a contributor on an NBA team. Bolden, like literally five minutes ago, just got brought up from the blue coats. Like, he didn't do a good job of drafting. they like, look at that 2017 draft. And it's like, Jesus, man, like Tatum. Tatum's obviously the best one. I didn't want Josh Jackson. De'Aaron Fox, not a bad player. Laurie Markkinen looks legit. We even said I, we were doing the thing at, um, was it ladder 19? And I said like, well, the Laurie Markkinen trade is going to be interesting. The Jimmy Butler trade, like what if this kid ends up being legit? And he is. Like Dennis Smith Jr., good player. Malik Monk has had, he's certainly taken his knocks. Donovan Mitchell, Bam, OG. Like these guys are all players that are making a legitimate impact on their team. And by the way, like I said before, the Pesheknes trade-up was so stupid because right after, two picks later, Kyle Kuzma. Four picks later, Josh Hart. And like, you know, Semi Ojale, who got taken in the second round in that draft, like, they're, they're, like Ojale's taken a pick after Jonah Bolden, who hasn't contributed to this team. Like, that 2017 draft, there were lots of players. There were players in the first and second round available, and the Sixers bungled it. So, I don't know. Th- this is why I just get so upset when I think back about the Colangelo era. And, like, there there were, were there one or two good moves? Sure. But, like, if you want to talk about, like, a thing that really crippled the process, crippled the timeline, you can't screw up in the draft for two, three years with the exception of the consensus number one overall pick in Ben Simmons and, like, hope to survive. It I just agree. doesn't work. I agree. Teams like Toronto, they draft well. Boston has drafted well. They're they're Both of those teams are deeper 1 through 12 than this Sixers team could be even if they got to go on a, on a really good spending spree in the offseason. I agree. And, that's and by why... the way, the other thing that they screwed up, the Sixers collective, whoever you want to attach the name to – the Sixers for years, I think it's been the last two years since the splur- the splurge of what was it, twenty sixteen is when the uh, the cap number bumped up and all these teams, uh, like uh it was like Portland and Atlanta, they they spent all this money on these like crappy players like Alan Crabb and they like threw out these ridiculous numbers. The Sixers for two years had money that practically nobody else in the league had. It was their one advantage. It was the one thing that Hinky was good about was taking on those high salaries for draft picks. And the Sixers just didn't do it, especially in the last year or two of Colangelo. They didn't do it. And now, like, next year, everybody's like, oh, well, the Sixers still have space. Everything's going to be great. Well, a lot of other teams in the league are going to have that space, too. And by the way, like, some of them are in slightly more desirable markets like New York and Los Angeles. So, you know, that was one of your biggest chips. And, and that wasn't executed properly. So, like, again, like, that was another thing they bungled. Yeah. So, two, you know, at some point, you have to you have to wonder when ownership is, is going to kind of get this thing together. Are they capable of doing it? I don't know. Like... It's just like you, you keep rolling the ball out. You keep doing the same thing. This coach is doing the same thing. He's running. All right, a, home before you get to the coach, you got like
0: eight points for me to address. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I agree with you. I would only say about the Foltz thing. Um, everyone was in agreement that he was consensus number one. And, oh, by the way, he f- checked every box you needed. No one could have predicted this. So as bad as it looks and as easy as it's going to be go back and, like, facepalm that draft – and credit to the Celtics for identifying Jason Tatum. All along, Jason Tatum was the NBA-ready guy. No one thought he would be this good. Everyone thought Fultz was – I mean, he. it was him and Lonzo. Every conversation was him and Lonzo, and every one of those conversations ended with, but Fultz is better. Okay? So yep. I, I can't I – You know, GMs are still human beings, and you go off with scouts. Scouts said this. This wasn't just like Brian Colangelo. Everyone with two eyes thought that was the player, thought he had the ability, he fit the role. I mean, Tatum's role on the Sixers, now they could certainly use it. But at the time, when you're kind of putting together this team on paper, if Fultz was the player, or at least with the skill, reliable skill sets that we expected, he'd be a perfect fit. So I can't necessarily knock him for that. It just looks really bad in, in hindsight. You can't expect him to be able to predict this. But I will agree with you on the second part. Uh, what, what, was the, what was the end part of that you said? I don't this remember. This is why I coach. try and interrupt you. No, before like the, the coach.
1: coach uh, I don't remember. We're two hours into a podcast. Is anybody still listening? No,
0: well, but, you know, like, I, I think this is a good philosophical. Oh, the ownership. I think I love what the Sixers. Remember, I, first of all, I think this is a reasonable market. This is a this is a big market. Yes, New York and L.A. are always going to be bigger, but you know both New York teams are kind of shit right now. Um, the, as a franchise, the Sixers have a lot of momentum, a lot going for them, and impressive practice facility, a good structure, plenty of opportunities for players. I mean, like I I don't think their market is a detriment at all. They've this ownership group is really good at business. They really are. And from ownership down to the business side of things, Scott O'Neill, Chris Heck, all those guys, like genuinely good at business and impressive. They were out ahead on the DraftKings thing. They were like, just bear with me for a sec. They were ahead of embracing daily fantasy. Scott O'Neill was on this podcast, a version of this podcast four years ago, and said, hey, sports betting is coming. That has happened now. And the Sixers are already positioning themselves to take care of that. From a business standpoint, they get what the next thing is. They own an esports team. They've rebranded the team in in a way that is perfect. What they've done with their branding is, Absolutely incredible. The court looks good. The arena looks good. The jerseys look good. They're popular. Their players are popular. Their marks look good. You have kids wearing their jerseys, and it's, you know, they've done a lot from a business standpoint. Even this StubHub stuff, which we gave, you know, some bad press to, not a single complaint have I heard in two years. And oh, by the way, out ahead of the curve on that sort of thing. They're doing a great job from a business standpoint. They know what they're doing, they've invested in the right places, they build a practice facility. On the basketball side of things, they're clearly turning it over to men who they think know what they're doing. That person early on was more or less Sam Hankey. We like what this guy is selling us. We like this brainy, nerdy, analytic stuff. We're going
1: to let him run with it. Remember, that was after he had interviewed the first time and they didn't take him. They went with the... Uh the Doug Collins Collective, remember? Right. That was a that was thing for a little bit. But, okay. People forget. But they... So it was, uh, it was on second effort but they got here.
0: credit to them for saying, we're going to allow this guy to do this. No GM just does that without the blessing. What are you eating? An apple. No GM just does that without the blessing of ownership. The problem is they got cold feet three years in, and the league put pressure league. on them, and they yeah. brought in Colangelo. We think this guy knows what he's doing. Jerry. Jerry, of course, sign, puts his son in place. And the Sixers say, "Okay, we think this guy knows." Three what months it. after saying that nothing is going to change, right? We think this guy knows what he's doing. Okay, fine. Well, Hinky did leave. He, he was pushed
1: out of his position, but he did leave. He did make the decision to leave. We're, somebody puts a gun to your head, puts their finger on the trigger, and says, "You better move, or this thing's going to go." It's not what happened. You're you're going to go. What
0: He was basically pushed into a co-GM role, which, you know, they neutered the guy, but I actually don't think they were going to put him under Brian. I actually don't think they wanted him to leave. I actually think they wanted his mind and outlook, and he was not willing to take it to motion, which I don't blame him for, okay? But I don't think it's that the Sixers did not want him in the building. I think they just wanted somebody else making the decisions, okay? Anyway. Stop chewing the apple. They continuously... For the love of God. They continuously think that they're putting the... You know, twice now, it's ended too soon. So you put a guy in Hinckley who you thought you wanted to run the basketball stuff. And by the way, he was doing a pretty good job of it. But you got cold feet, couldn't stomach anymore, bent the pressure from the league, so then he put the Klanslow's in charge. They did not get to see that through. Now... Whether he was the right guy or not, you you're going to say he's not, and that's fine. Maybe he maybe he is the guy who would have been able to figure out a way to get a superstar to come here. There is enough connections and enough clout in the league. Maybe that could have worked.
1: Regardless, it's amazing. It's amazing you don't get a good candidate after you uh, you know nepotism way hired a guy three days after your GM resigned. Regardless, that was a really extensive, that did not, uh, exhaustive search. Okay, but no one would have said after the end of last year that he should three be days. fired. Okay,
0: that. Did not get to see itself through, so now they're scrambling. And now we, okay, well, now what do we do? We went with the radical approach. We went with the old school approach. Both of those ended in absolute flames. Now we got to scramble. So what do they do? Well, they turn it over to their coach, which is completely ridiculous. And then they go out and get Elton Brand, who no one knows anything about, but everybody likes the guy. That's a problem. Like they don't under. They don't know the everybody basketball... Everybody likes the
1: GM and everybody likes the coach, but nobody really knows if either of them are right for the job.
0: They, well the coach you have a better idea. Isn't that the problem? The coach well, let me finish. The coach you have a better idea. They have they don't know what they're doing with the basketball side. And the problem is the guys they turned it over to the first time, you know, the first year with Doug Collins, they were old school guys. They just had to let it go for a year, just see what they had. Then you turn it over to this new radical guy, it goes up in flames. You turn it over to the to the lifelong NBA guys, that goes up in flames. Now they're scrambling. Now no one's there to help them. Now they got to put decide who to put in charge, and they're putting their eggs in the Elton Brand basket. Like that's that's the concerning part. I think they're great business guys. I think they would probably most of them would probably tell you they don't know what the fuck they're doing on the basketball side, and they put their trust in people who have a philosophy that they believed in or were willing to allow those people to run things. In the interim, they've lucked heavily—not lucked, but they by allowing Sam Hinkie to do what he did you wind up with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And whether you missed on seven other guys in all that tanking, and they missed on a lot of guys, that's okay. The whole point of the tanking is you throw enough ping-pong balls in there. doesn't matter if you miss on three if two of them are superstars like they are. And, oh, by the way, you get in a position to move up and get the number one pick who turned out to be Fulton is going to wind up being a bust. So all that went well, but now... It didn't go quite as well as they had planned. The, the big move they made for Foltz has now backfired, and now they have to scramble to capitalize on what Embiid and Simmons are providing. And now there's this vacuum because the, the, the ownership group really does not know the basketball side. And I don't think they are the, they are in a good they I don't think they're talented or qualified enough to make the decision as to whether or not Elton Brand is the right guy. You know, I don't know if anybody's able to make that, but it scares me a little bit that there's really, you know, the people in charge of the basketball side or the guys who was here were here and Brett Brown and Elton Brand, you know, it's sort of like, well, we're going to let these guys run the asylum, you know, it would be like me saying to, um, you know, you and Chris, you know, who, two are the younger guys on the site, like, you know what, um, I'm just going to let you guys take this over because I, I don't, I don't know how to write blog posts anymore. And, like, not knowing if you guys are actually any good at it and could do it all day, every day, six times a day. That's kind of what the Sixers are doing with Elton, Brand, and, and Brown. Like, I, I don't know. We like these guys. They're pretty good. Um, yeah, why not? Let them run the basketball shit. Uh, I don't know. And if that doesn't work, that's a costly opportunity because now you've, you've, you know, kind of ejaculated away the uh, earlier, somewhat cheaper years of Embiid and Simmons. If. It, not saying it's unsalvageable by any stretch, but, you know, it's, I don't feel great about where they're at.
1: I don't either. All right, we should wrap. I think we're, I think we're, we are really now forced as a collective fan base to have to really have that moment to look and, and say, is Brett Brown the guy?
0: I agree. I think that's got to be another I, I think we have, we, I agree I, with you, yeah. I think we could spend 30 minutes I think on that Brett might be, Brown.
1: that might be, that might be Wednesday uh, or Friday or whatever, but the the more this season goes on and after seeing the the poor adjustments that were made the Miami series the Boston series and just seeing how this the season has played out early so far i i i think Brett's a really nice guy i think he he does a good job with players but i i i don't know so anyway uh we we've now kind of uh we've gone full circle right we went from a uh a lovely start with Alan Iverson to something that kind of fizzled out when you walked away, to uh, some weird stuff with the Flyers, some sad stuff with the Sixers. Um, we didn't even talk about the fact that the Eagles beat Jacksonville in London, which I don't think either of us definitely thought was going to happen as you were eating an apple. So that was exciting. I absolutely that they won that game. They were Jacksonville. In um, fact, I bet on it. Did yes. you? How much did you win?
0: I bet fifty bucks. They didn't hit the over Went once. The over under. Was 23 for the Eagles, not total game. The night before, Jacksonville obviously had a few of the injuries in the secondary. Thought the Eagles would probably score more than 23 um, with some help from Bob's uh, excellent betting breakdown. And then when those four players got arrested, granted, they were like, you know, not all starters, but when you have the backups who are in your already somewhat depleted secondary being arrested and detained for nine hours, 36 hours before the game overnight. Uh, you figure that's going to lead to a higher scoring output. So I immediately went and placed the bet on the over of 23 with FanDuel. They're a little slower to react on stuff like that, uh, FYI, in case you're ever looking for an edge. Um, on the over under of 23, by the time kickoff happened, I think it was up to 24 and a half. Good thing I got it at 23 because the Eagles scored exactly 24 points. So very proud of myself yeah. for acting on that and
1: striking because had I waited till the morning, I would have lost well good job Mm -hmm. good job all right well uh oh ben simmons says we've been playing soft i don't know if it's a mental thing a toughness thing or something that we need to point out what it is but we just need to step it up it's a good way to put it good way to put it ben also don't forget to uh you know maybe put up a shot from from time to time anyway um don't forget to go check out the other shows on Crossing Broad Podcast Network. I believe Bob and Anthony are supposed to be recording Sunday night for a Monday release, although if we're recording now, I don't know if they can too, so we shall find out pretty soon. Um, but they are supposed to be releasing a new episode of Crossed Up to cover, I'm, I'm guessing among many things, the speculation about Manny Machado and Bryce Harper and uh, reported interest of the Phillies in both of those players, so go check that show out. Snow the Goalie with uh, with me and Anthony, that'll be out later this week. I think we're going to record Thursday for... no thursday night there's a game We'll probably release an episode uh later in the week and of course you know go check us out on the uh the intermission and the pregame show we did that on facebook live on uh, the crossing broad page and then on twitter uh, at anthony's uh, twitter account at AntSan philly and uh, of course uh go also check out the two soccer shows crossing broad fc and it's always soccer in philadelphia although the uh, philadelphia union kyle i'm sure you know and you watch the game but uh They did fall in back-to-back games against NYCFC to close out the regular season, which could have got them a uh, home playoff game. Then they went out and they lost again at NYCFC in a pretty miserable fashion. And uh, yet another coach in the city who shouldn't have a job, Jim Curtin. Uh, The team came up small in another big moment, so that was exciting. Anyway, uh, go check out those shows. Follow everybody on Twitter. And uh, for Kyle, at Crossing Broad, I'm Russ, at Joy on Broad, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again later this week.